0: Listening to Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago, exploring inspired, down-to-earth Judaism in conversation. I am your host, Rabbi Lizzie Heideman, and we are in the sixth week of our Omer series, featuring spiritual entrepreneurs—people who are bringing the wisdom of their own lived experience into their professional lives and carving new paths, making unique and much-needed impact in the world. Today, I'm speaking with Rabbi Sandra Lawson, a spiritual leader whose work spans multimedia platforms, state lines, and denominations. Known as the TikTok rabbi, and before that, the Snapchat rabbi, Rabbi Lawson has spent years building a following through social and digital media, like TikTok and Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. She's been featured on various podcasts, including Judaism Unbound and Tablet Magazines Unorthodox, as well as being a host for her own show, Minutes of Torah. Rabbi Sandra Lawson's writing has been featured in The Times of Israel, The Jewish Journal, The Forward, CNN, Jewish Telegraphic Agency, and many other places. She is Reconstructing Judaism's Director of Racial Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and the recent founder of Kol Hapanim, an inclusive Jewish community that is relevant, accessible, rooted in Jewish tradition, and centers the leadership of Jews of color. Rabbi Lawson was ordained by the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College in 2018, and she became, in that moment, one of the first openly gay female and black rabbis in the world. She's a military veteran, vegan, Sociologist, personal trainer, food activist, weightlifter, writer, and musician. She lives in North Carolina with her wife, Susan, and their three dogs, who you may hear a bit in the background during our interview. So much of Rabbi Lawson's work is about cultivating a Judaism that is complex and colorful and queer and creative— reminding the world that we have the opportunity to harness the power of all of this diversity, which is, in fact, ancient, and enliven and inspire the Jewish present and future. In this conversation, we dive into the sixth theme of the Omer, Yesod Foundation, and I have the true pleasure of hearing the way that gratitude, recognition, honesty, and inclusivity have been the ground upon which Rabbi Sandra Lawson has built her life's work. I loved speaking with Sandra, which she asked me to call her. I walked away from our conversation feeling invigorated and inspired, and I think after listening you will feel the same. I can't I can barely barely like keep up with my Facebook account. How have you done it? Like, at, why? First of all, why and how did you get online to, you know, sort of to be a social media presence as a rabbi? Um, and what has this journey been like for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and there's a lot in, there's a lot in there. You know, I was an early adapter. You know, I've always liked computers and social media, and took a class a long time ago on Windows ninety five or something like. that. <laughs> Um, and I just have always liked that. And I, um and even in like high school journalism, we used Mac computers, and I just always have liked that. Uh, but how this sort of came into like my rabbi life, more practical. When I entered rabbinical school, I was a mature student. I was not, it was I'm not it was on my first or second career. And um I didn't want to be ordained and to continue to answer questions as to how I exist. Like, how are you black? How are you Jewish? How are you a rabbi? And I knew that the work that I would be doing all those long years in rabbinical school would be vetted work so anytime i wrote a paper or an essay it went online it went on my blog or went on facebook or something and i just started to share more of my my life as a rabbinical student kind of what i would say today i wouldn't necessarily have this language then but sort of normalizing the fact that a black person a black queer person could be a rabbi And, you know, and like I said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to graduate from rabbinical school and, and to continue to have to explain, you know, and so I would have my resume and this sheet that explained who I was, so that when I would get to the interview, if you asked me those questions, that meant you didn't actually bother to read anything that I sent. And that actually worked. it, it It required me to share more details about my life than I was comfortable, and I would never ask anybody to do, but it actually helped me move past you know, how are you, Jewish question. That's
0: mm-hmm. so interesting to hear the sort of mm-hmm. backstory of your social media presence, because mm-hmm. it's not just sort of like, you know, I wanted to get out there. Like, I, I think for a lot of yeah, people, social media is like, mm-hmm. I got to have a brand and people mm-hmm. have to know me. And, I, you know, what I'm hearing from you is actually like, there's a, everything you're describing sounds incredibly painful. Like, I I feel like I could relate only a little because I got some mm-hmm. of those questions as a woman, you know, mm-hmm. like in the conservative mm-hmm. movement, where you're sort of like, "Am I really justifying that I'm sitting here in this moment? I'm sitting mm-hmm. here.
1: You see me, right?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had a I had a conversation a few years ago. I'm not going to say who the rabbi is because I'm probably going to mess up his name. He's a really sweet man, and um, I I just think I met him. I don't know year three of rabbinical school, and he's brilliant. And I said, "Dude, why aren't you on Facebook? Like, why aren't you online?" And and you know he actually had a feeling that like, if you were online, that meant that you were trying to create, I don't know a brand or you were trying to like show the world who you are. And I shared with him that story, and he was like, "Wow, like he just his privilege is sort of like he it ne- that angle had never even occurred to him. And I also like you know, there is a brand component today, but that's not that is definitely not how it started. Well, that's actually really interesting. Can you say more about what you feel like Rabbi Rabbi Sandra Lawson's brand is now in the world? (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) really, Sandra, I use social media to try things out. Um, And it's also been a very learning tool. So my brand on social media is just that, Rabbi Sandra. So once I was ordained, all of my social media, with one exception, because I couldn't change it, um, move from whatever the username was before to Rabbi Sandra, so you can find me as Rabbi Sandra on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. So one thing that I use social media for, which is kind of my own personal practice, um, you know, I wanted to get better, become a better musician. I wanted to be, um, you know, I wanted to learn Jewish songs that just I didn't gr- grow up learning because I wasn't raised Jewish, and the only way that I saw to do that really. In a, an effective way was to like, let's watch Sandra learn these songs. I mean, I didn't phrase it that way, but like, this is the song I learned today, or this is what I learned today, or this is what I wrote today. Um, and then over the years, I have gotten better. I'm still not the musician I want to be, but you know, today I can play the guitar, I can play the banjo, I can play a little percussion all because you know, I just sort of try these things <laughs> out online. And there's um, there's a level of accountability. If you tell people that you're gonna share or you're gonna post something every Friday night or whatever, um, you have to, you, you don't have to, I do because I have, I like accountability, you know, like, oh, it's Friday night, I have to share something because I said I would. And and I, I've done that, like last, before COVID, like um, I'd go on my porch every night and sing like the latest like folk song that I had learned by heart because I wanted to learn these songs. I wasn't relying on chord sheets. And the other thing is that the, the 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 brand piece did start with sort of like Snapchat. You know, I wanted to understand Snapchat. Snapchat at the time was like the only social media platform that I could not figure out. Snapchat was totally different because it wasn't written, the algorithm was not written for people over a certain age. And so since nobody knew who I was telling people to come and listen to my Torah was, or come and ask me questions was not a good idea. So then what I started to do, I started to use the features and filters, which the filters are kind of cool in Snapchat. I started using the filters in Snapchat to teach Torah.
0: A lot of people complain about social media. I'm sure we could talk mm-hmm. you know, at length also about some of the downsides or the dark sides. And I, I'd be interested to hear them, but like bef- before we go there, what are some of the amazing things that have happened as a result of being such a ubiquitous presence online
1: like covid hit and everything shut down and we had to figure out passover we could have all said all of us rabbis said well, i'm just not doing it <laughs> right well, just well wait. like we
0: on hog we don't use technology so right. we can't do passover online i guess everybody's just gonna do seder alone
1: right Right. And we were very, we, yeah, and we're very resilient people. And we figured out how to do Passover. And it was wonderful. And as each holiday came along, we figured it out. And um, and one cool thing, and since I was working on a college campus, the imam reached out to me because after our holiday came their holiday. And he was like, mm-hmm. please tell me what you did. <laughs> and it was a, this beautiful way of connection. Um, across Jewish movements, across religious traditions, as we all try to figure out how to adapt. And at the beginning of COVID, many of us thought when this is over, we'll just go back. Well, now we know there's no going back. We're Mm -hmm. going to emerge into something uh, because we've, even though we lost a lot, um, we have gained so much in uh connecting with people with boundaries have been removed borders have been removed as more accessible um people can join anywhere um and there's also the need to be in person too but so we have to figure out going forward because we knew how to do in person well through a bunch of fetching we figured out how to do <laughs> virtual well and now we've got to like figure out what the next the next phase is but that's evolving that's, that's you know evolving. that's how our tradition has always survived
0: so speaking of evolving um, professionally and sort of outside of just your job title, um, part of what you're doing is helping helping Jews of color and and everybody else understand that there's such a thing as Judaism and Jews of color. Like these are not separate areas. This is actually all you know interwoven. And you've created a new community. So, I mean, one thing I'm curious about is just, like, I want, I want to hear a little bit more about Kol Hapanim. I want to hear how it's going. Mm-hmm. I, like, we had a conversation about this a couple months ago. And also, I'd love to hear how creating a community, something that, that is explicitly a community, changes the game from, you know, just doing social media posts as Sandra Lawson, Rabbi Sandra Lawson, you know, on different platforms
1: yeah so this this backstory i think will go well as i try to pitch this idea to people <laughs> so two things happened before kolha was a thing two of them were really important to me one i wanted to start a community in the south because there's a lot of like jews that really that live in the south that want you know something like mishka chicago or something like ikar but you know they're, they're really hungry for that and i really wanted to create a place where all folks are welcome. And so what sort of started this was um, my frustration. Congregation presented itself as having done the work. So the first time I was, okay, I'm not gonna apply for the job that hasn't done the work. So the second one, they, you know, claimed to do all the work and they still weren't ready. And racism also showed up in that space very um, and a very heavily. And I was, and the second time I was hurt because it was a reconstruction synagogue too. So like, yeah. and, I, and I knew, the people there, because we're a small group. The other one was a reform synagogue. I'm saying that because I don't want people to think I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm only applying in progressive spaces. I'm a black queer person. I am not trying to apply in a most conservative small C or big C, or big C um, yeah. congregation. And both those communities claim to be something that they're not. But anyway, so mm. the second time when I, I was like, you know, I trained, I did all this training to be a rabbi and There, you know, if I, there's things that I wanted to do and I, and, and I thought I could do them in those spaces and I was really frustrated and I was hurt and I'm someone who takes failure and turns it into something. Mm -hmm. I don't like to just, I'd like to grieve. Grieving is important, but I always try to turn failure into something. And I said, something's going to come out of this. I just need to grieve for it for a little while. And then the world changed um, with COVID. And then I got a call from Alana Kaufman in California telling me about a grant that I didn't know about. So when I applied for this grant, I was like, I want to start my own community. I'm tired of racism that I experienced. I want to normalize people seeing a black woman, a brown person, leading services. Um, when COVID hit, I had I, I wanted to really use the opportunity to create a davening practice, but I didn't, I don't want to pray on my own. So I turned on my phone and I said, hey, like so we're many. all at home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I said, pray with me or whatever I said. And then that turned into weeks and a huge following. And so I initially planned to, um, get some, get some seed money, find, talk with people. Cause I'd already started doing one-on-ones with people in this area, trying to find out what their needs are. And I really wanted to create an in-person community and when, when COVID hit, um, I also applied for another grant to start a, to try to build out the online stuff that I was doing. And I kind of saw them as two separate things that were sort of come together. And then as the longer we were sort of in quarantine, I was like, had the, you know, like the, sometimes you, it, you have to be knocked in the head before you realize the most obvious thing. <laughs> like, you know, this doesn't have to, they don't have to be two separate things. Like this can be one thing. And so even though my idea was to create co-hop in person. I am creating a community, it's just living virtually first. Um, and then I'm continuing to do the work to um, create a community here in North Carolina. I'm in this this uh, fellowship called the Center for Rabbinic Innovation, which is awesome. Every time I thought I was done with the paperwork, they kept sending me more paperwork.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Right, well, we, so, we talked about yeah. this once upon a time, you're uh-huh. gonna need somebody to help you with your paperwork so you can focus on TikTok. And, <laughs> and one-to-ones and not paperwork. Right, well,
1: right. And one thing I learned from you in, in my um, my plan for the next three years is I don't actually plan to hire myself until the third year, because mm. in that time period, I actually want an executive director and I want to hire a rabbinic intern. And um, I, don't, I, can, I have a day job and I want to continue having fun, but I'd rather hire an executive director who can do all, who can run all that stuff. And I may have somebody, we'll see. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll
0: share the information about Kol Hapanim in mm-hmm. the show notes. But um, like, how has it been going?
1: You know, it's it's been fun. It's been great. And, you know, there are things that happen that you just don't uh, foresee happening that don't go right, don't go right. But that's part of the learning process. So for now, we have um, two services a month. That's the plan. But one service is like a big event. It's the second Shabbat of the month and so the first one was led by myself and rabbi Mira rivera mm-hmm. it was very well attended and there was a lot of technical issues that you know but it was great to work with her um dr koach baruch fraser led havdala for us last month and i just i just love him and what i said to him was that i want you to shine i want people to see you do your thing whatever that is i want people to see you do it and i know you're stressed out because you're a rabbinical student and I know you got a lot going on. So I'm going to make this easy for you. you Can lead something that you want to work on. You can, we can work on it together. You can do something you're comfortable with. I'm still going to pay you the same. It can be a divar, You can do a divar, You can uh, co-lead with me. You can lead whatever you want, whatever you feel passionate about. And he's like, can I do Havdalah? I said, absolutely. <laughs> and so we did Havdalah. And then this month, by some weird accident, uh, I reached out to a rabbinical student, Mei Yi, the ax- reaching out to her was not an accident. What was the accident was that I didn't realize that this month is um, Asian Heritage Month and Jewish Heritage Month. And Mei Yi is an amazing Ch- uh, Chinese American rabbinical student who will be leading our first Shabbat morning service. And so for these students, I get to be the tech person sitting in the back and I get to like promote them and have people come and watch them do their thing. And that's been just really that's great nice. to that's sort of so be so that. So
0: satisfying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of what I, I, I want to do when I work with students. And then when I work with rabbis, we'll, we'll co-lead or, um, you know, plan something. And then the other Shabbat is, it's it's just me <laughs> leading like Kabbalah Shabbat with a small group of, of people. But the big one is like, I spend a lot of time and energy on social media trying to promote that service.
0: Good luck yeah. with, with all yeah. of that. I, I can't wait to tune in mm-hmm. on some Friday night. Let's Let's shift a little to talk Mm -hmm. about the Omer. So we are are here in the midst of this Mm -hmm. 49-day counting period, which I don't need to tell you because for a number of years, you've either written pieces or tracked Mm -hmm. the Omer or like this year, you know, making videos with every, almost every day. (laughs) Um, I I saw that you wrote a piece for um, Interfaith Youth Corps called From COVID Mm -hmm. to Liberation. So I'm curious both about like this particular week on the Omer calendar, Yasod, foundations, you know, I want to go into that a little bit. But I wonder if you could just share, like, what does the Omer mean to you this year?
1: The Omer, like in its basic meaning, as you know, is a measure of barley, a measure of like wheat or whatever. Um, But for me, it's always been this time to count, to use the, the method of counting you know, is 49 days of journaling or 49 days of sort of reflecting on what's happening. That was nice. And then the second year, I was like, okay, this us do this again, read the same book. And then I just, you know, felt like I should write something. So I wrote a blog post, but in that year it had to be at night. Like I had to like, I couldn't go to sleep until I had some reflection. Um, today, I'm a little more lenient on myself. As long as I get it in before sundown the next day, that's that's fine. Uh, but one year, I didn't do it. Yeah, I think that's right. And then the next year, my my now wife said, so are you going to post the Omer every year? And I said, I don't think so. She's like, I don't think you should. I said, what? So my non-Jewish wife, by the way, uh, <laughs> she's like, I think you should. And so now I do it because even my wife finds meaning out of it. And it's helped me, help to remind me that it's important to do.
0: Okay. What's the meaning your wife finds in it? I don't know. <laughs>
1: I, don't, I think I think for her, uh, I said, I don't know for those who didn't hear, um, I think for her, my, one thing that I think that she's good at, and I, I can't speak for her, but she understands that Jewish practice is incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. And when I don't do it, that there's something missing from me, I think. Mm-hmm. So even when like, you know, we get, we all get like in our workspace, work head, and years, few years ago, she said, "I think we should have somebody over for Shabbat dinner." And I was like, "Why?" She's like, "Cause I think you need it." Like, and she was right.
0: That's beautiful.
1: So I wanna, I wanna look more at
0: like this idea of Yesod Foundation. That's sort of that's the week that we're in. So you wrote a piece that was published last March in e Jewish Philanthropy called "Grounded in Gratitude: Tackling Systemic Racism with Open Hearts." Would you mind reading
1: from the essay? A number of Jewish organizations are at various stages of anti-racism work, each is at the beginning of a long journey, and we'll all travel further if we learn from one another. As I set out, I'm looking at two foundations. The first is my experience offering anti-racism training to synagogues, colleges, and small groups. I begin those conversations by offering a blessing of gratitude and honoring our pain. I do this because it is often easier in our society to focus on the things that are wrong. And I want to ground us in gratitude and thankfulness so that we can approach hard subjects such as racism with grace and an open heart. Then I let people know that we need to honor our pain. The pain of living in a society that is not equitable. The pain of living through this pandemic and all the human devastation and misery it has wrought. We need to honor our pain. We need to honor our suffering instead of repressing it. If we don't honor it, we can't move forward and we can't heal.
0: So I heard you say like, one of the first foundations is gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so then I wanna look at this second foundation or guidepost from that same essay. Mm -hmm.
1: The second guidepost is the Reconstructionist movement's own recent history regarding LGBTQ individuals, families, and clergy. Until a landmark 1984 decision, out gay and lesbians were prohibited from studying at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. That decision represented the beginning of a process that is ongoing. Yet within a generation, the Reconstructionist movement has become a comfortable home for LGBTQ rabbis, staff, and members. One of my first tasks will be to explore what was done, how it was done, and discern what might be replicable today, as well as what mistakes to avoid.
0: Thank you for thank you for reading that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for writing that. Sounds like part of what you're setting forth as you think about your role, b- being the director of racial diversity equity and inclusion in reconstructing judaism uh, is you're setting forward a vision and that vision begins with gratitude and tell me if this is sort of the right way to interpret what you just wrote there and it's also appreciating and recognizing the possibility of tshuva Mm -hmm. yeah God willing, God, goddess willing, Mm -hmm. universe willing. How do you, how do you refer to how, how, when referring to the, you know, boundless beloved of the universe, do you talk about God?
1: I, I, I have a spiritual director who encourages me to use a right, whatever. She asked me to pick a name every year. I don't do a good job on that assignment, but um, I do use a variety of names. Like, you know, the the source for inspiration, the divine. Um, It just depends. (laughs) All right. Well,
0: I hope I, I hope and pray that the source of inspiration guides mm-hmm. your work and guides all of us toward mm-hmm. a future as soon as humanly possible, in which we can we can say about diversity and equity and mm-hmm. inclusion that that we've that we've made the kind of chuva actually that we've done mm-hmm. even better than you know. Every step along the way, you know, toward getting here, with other different marginalized groups. You know, you use the example of inclusion of gays and lesbians, the Mm -hmm. Reconstructionist movement. You know, Reconstructionist movement, reform movement, conservative movement. Sort of one by one, slowly, Mm -hmm. with great, you know, sort of hand wringing and self reflection. It's like now we're at a place where, in all of those movements, we do same sex weddings. You have Mm -hmm. queer rabbis. It's becoming just more and more of a Normal, like unquestioned thing, um, and I just I hope and pray that th- that the vision that you are trying to bring about and living into mm-hmm. becomes a vision that is just regular, normal old Judaism in America, Jewish civilization in America, in the twenty first century. You've been listening to Contact Chai, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago, a Jewish spiritual community and part of the Jewish Emergent Network. If you've missed the last few weeks of the Omer series on the spirituality of entrepreneurship, make sure to go back and catch our episodes on loving kindness, strength, balance, compassion, endurance, and humility. Next week, I'll be speaking with Dan Liebenson and Lex Rofberg, the creators and hosts of the groundbreaking podcast Judaism Unbound. If you'd like to support our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help listeners find our show and they let us know what you think. This week, we actually hit the top 100 in Jewish podcasts, and that's because of listeners like you. One reviewer, Fullub, wrote, Food for the Soul. I love the variety of topics and fantastic guests. Every episode leaves me thinking deeply and feeling inspired. Thank you. No, thank you, Fullub. Reviews like this make us so happy and grateful to have an audience to create content for. And I agree, our guests are fantastic. This show is produced by our fabulous team at Mishkan. Editing and production of this podcast is by Hannah Rehack. Administrative assistance by Zach Weinberg. And editorial oversight by our Director of Communications, Ashley Donahue. Find out more about Mishkan Chicago at mishkanchicago.org, where you can also make a donation. Thank you in advance. Many blessings. tool.